Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Hi, welcome to Location Matters. My name's Sarah Butler. So today on the Location Matters podcast, we have two people here. One person who is becoming quite the regular on the podcast, which is my colleague Sam Atkinson from NGIS and EO Data Science. Thank you, Sam, yet again Thanks, for being on the podcast. But we've also got Parwant Guman from 3V Geomatics. He's a chief technology officer there and he's based in Vancouver at the moment. He's joining us via Hangouts Link. We love technology. We love that we can do this. We've got him on a big screen up on our TV in our meeting room. So it feels like he's here with us. So Parwant is joining us to talk about INSAR, which is Interferometric Synthetic Aperture Radar. It ties in really nicely to what we have been discovering with satellite imagery and remote sensing on some of our episodes. So we're going to be going another layer deeper today. And when I say another layer deeper, we're going into sub-centimetre shifts and movement of the Earth's surface and how that can be detected. And he's going to be talking about a few different things from a 3V geomatics perspective. But really what we want to get down into today with the podcast is um, really educating everybody, especially here in Australia and New Zealand, to understand about INSAR and, and what it could do for your business. And it's probably something you've never thought about before. So Pawant, thank you very, very much for making the effort to join us. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for having me. And uh, nice to meet you, Sam, as well. I'd like to thank both of you on behalf of 3V Geomatics for giving us the opportunity to talk about this topic that we love, namely INSAR. You're very welcome. Well, okay, we'll get straight into it. And um, Parwan, I might start with you because, like I mentioned, we haven't had you on the podcast before. We hope we'll be able to do many of these with you. But first, I would love it if you could just uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. And we've got listeners all over the world who haven't heard from you before. Tell us a bit about yourself. And then if you could just tell us a little bit about our 3V Geomatics as well. So starting with myself, I studied electrical engineering back uh, in university, which was a long time ago. I went to the local university here, University of British Columbia, and I did an internship in my final year at a company called MDA, which is where I heard about INSAR and which is where I heard about SAR, actually, Synthetic Aperture Radar. And I got really excited about it. I saw that it had a ton of juicy, meaty problems to solve. And even in the short eight-month work term that I did there, I could clearly see that it had a horde of useful applications, which are just beginning to be realized now, 16 years later. INSAR now is, is, is quite mature, actually, and you know I'll get into that a bit later. But I just want to mention, during my co-op, which lasted eight months, I processed a total of three images. <laughs> 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 they were, uh, it was a very interesting data set. An earthquake had occurred in, in Alaska along the Denali Fault. And I spent eight months analyzing these three radar sat one images and, you know, a lot of manual techniques, uh, manually tuned algorithms, a lot of new code that I wrote within a small team to analyze these three images. You know, fast forward uh, 16 years to present day at, at 3B Geomatics, and we process three images probably in three minutes. We process tens of thousands of images uh, every year. So it has been very exciting to watch the INSAR technology, the INSAR products, and just generally the uptake by the users. And while we've come a long way, 
you know, we still feel like we're just scratching the surface. There's just so much more that can be done with the data that's now available. A little bit about 3V Geomatics. I have been CTO at 3VG for about 10 and a half years now. And, you know, 3VG is solely an INSAR company. So we love INSAR. We live and breathe INSAR. It's more than 95% of our business. It was started in 2007 with the singular purpose of operationalizing INSAR applications. So all the technology that we have developed so far and all the products that we have developed and continue to refine and improve and build, they're all very much client driven. They're very much client focused. We're very much focused on service as well. And we're actually quite flexible with our offerings. We have, you know, different types of products depending on the application and the customer and the geographical area in the world. But we're generally quite flexible in terms of devising an optimal monitoring solution for the particular client. I would like to, you know, just highlight maybe a couple of application sectors where we did some pioneering work in the past. So back in 2014, we brought INSAR to the mining industry. We innovated a product called Rapid Reports, where we reduced the turnaround of the product from weeks and months down to 24 hours. And this is still a corner product for uh, 3B Geomatics and for the INSAR community as a whole as well, where a lot of the uptake that we have seen by clients is because we can tell them what's happening at your property today so they can take the appropriate decisions and the appropriate actions to mitigate the risks at their property as they are developing. And we have repeated this pioneering effort also with pipelines, uh, you know, as recent as 2017, where our products are being used quite widely. A little bit on, you know, the company culture and what the company looks like internally. We are just over 50 people now and we are broadly organized into you know, research, software, information technology, operations, and, and business development. And we continue to focus on research, which has been a big theme for us from the beginning. Uh, we collaborate quite a bit with different universities around the world. Uh, I think in total we have collaborated with seven different universities around the world and we continue these collaborations to this day. That's awesome. So I will I will I will end that introduction of 3VG <laughs> but by just saying that you know we try to build re relevant technology and products that benefit actual users out there because that's our goal to bring insar to the world. Thanks Pawan, that's really great and thank you for introducing 3VG to our audience. Something I want to get into is the fact that we do have a lot of super savvy GIS users and mapping professionals and remote sensing specialists that listen to the podcast. But we do have a lot of people that are still just trying to understand different concepts and, and dabble in different things with technology. And something that Sam's really good at doing for me personally is actually explaining something very technical in a very simple way so that I can understand it because I am not a professional in this space by any means. Um, I know the basics, but Sam, I think it would be great. And Parwant, feel free to jump in when you want to. I'd love for you guys to explain what insight is to... I guess the novice, somebody that wouldn't understand what it is. Yeah, if you could just give us a little bit of an overview. Yeah, I can try. So radar is very different to optical data. So I think in general, those of us in the remote sensing industry 
generally work with optical data primarily and radar is very different to get your head around it has been for me anyway i think others others cope much better so oh, i think i'm gonna have to hand that over to you i want in in layman's terms for those of us in the spatial industry but not particularly familiar with really the applied physics which which is what radar is sure. um yeah how do you explain it in the layman's terms yes as you said you know it is an active sensor so you know what's the opposite of that the opposite of that is a passive sensor so Sarah, when you use the camera on your smartphone to take a picture, you're merely capturing the light that has bounced off the sun. Uh, you know, it's come from the sun, it's bounced off an object and you're capturing that light. So that's a passive sensor. Radar is sending its own energy, its own microwaves, and it's bouncing these microwaves off of the ground, off of the earth. So when we bounce these microwaves, we're scanning the ground as the satellite flies, we're scanning the ground to generate a radar image. Okay. Yeah. And then we come back a week later and collect the same scan over again. And now we have two images. And using these two images, we can basically measure a lot of physical properties about the Earth. So specifically, you know, the radar waves as they travel from the satellite. The satellite is a thousand kilometers away in space. As the radar waves travel, they encounter the ionosphere, they encounter clouds and atmosphere, they encounter the topography, the hills and the valleys, then they encounter any subtle displacement of the ground that has happened. They may even encounter soil moisture and snow signal. So there's these six or seven types of signals that are encoded in these INSAR images. And our bread and butter is to isolate the ground displacement, the subtle displacement of the ground, the subsidence or the uplift of the ground. We want to out isolate that from all these other contributions. So fundamentally, that is what INSAR is. You know, we're comparing successive images of the same area to piece together a displacement history of the ground. So we are measuring and reporting three things. You know, we are telling you where the ground is moving or displacing, when it is moving, and how much it is moving. Those are the three simple pieces of information. And we can do that for tens of millions of targets over hundreds or thousands of square kilometers of land. So that is where the power of INSAR comes in. So measuring displacement of the ground is not something that we invented. This is not unprecedented. You know, geologists and geotechnical engineers, they have a need to measure the displacement of the ground. And they do this traditionally using ground-based sensors. Now, we are doing the surveying using these satellites that are flying at seven kilometers per second, and they're a thousand kilometers away, which enables us to capture very, very large areas precisely. Yeah. And with a very, very high density of data points. It's amazing. I feel like this is going to be extremely beneficial um, to anyone who is trying to prevent accidents from happening. I had the pleasure recently of um, doing a bit of research into um, what you guys do at 3VG and I wrote EO Data Science. Sam, you might remember the TSF story. So TSFs, for listeners who don't know what that is, that's a tailings storage facility, which you typically find in a mine site. And I think the amazing thing about INSAR is that, yeah, you can do so much more from your desktop. You can 
see with technology like you guys are using it through VG and creating and making accessible to different industries, um, when these movements take place that you mentioned, Pawan, um, having that information early could be all the difference. What are some of the other benefits that you see from, from using INSA? Yes, yes, that's that's right. So TSF is, you know, uh, a growing application of INSAR. INSAR is revolutionary in the sense that it allows risk mitigation and preparedness and, and response from your desktop without actually going out in the field. You know, it has lots of other benefits, lots of other advantages other than the fact that it's remote monitoring, it's non-invasive, it doesn't require site visits. You know, I mentioned that it covers very, very large areas. When you have assets on the ground that are spread over a 20 kilometer by 20 kilometer area, or in the case of pipelines, your pipeline might be going through hundreds and thousands of kilometers. And there's no way to really monitor all the hazards on the ground in an economical way. Right. You can't spend millions of dollars to deploy instruments everywhere. So these satellites and the INSAR products that they enable, they really enable you to monitor these, this infrastructure and in mass. And you can do this sort of reconnaissance, you know, over really large areas. Now there are satellites like Sentinel for the last five years, and there's more, more such satellites coming up, which are providing free and open data to users. You know, the data are not the highest resolution. They're still a bit coarser than the commercial satellites. But nevertheless, they are imaging the whole Earth like clockwork. You know, yeah. and this data, you can just download it from the European Space Agency and you can do all this reconnaissance. And then you can use some of the commercial satellites to really zoom in on the hotspots that, that really interest you. Mm. So... You know, it's it's fundamentally it's a technology that's it's just becoming cheaper as we go forward because there's more and more sensors coming up. The data is getting cheaper, free in some cases, and it's just something that's inherently scalable. You can scale it up to a global level, you know, and we are seeing that now. We're really seeing that uptake and we're seeing, you know, companies like 3VG and others monitor entire regions, you know, mon monitor entire states in the United States. United States or monitor entire countries in Europe using INSAR technology. That's amazing. And I know, Sam, you and I always talk about speed and scalability, and I know that you love a good Sentinel-2 bit of data in your life as well. And i um, wondering what you feel in the Australian-New Zealand market are the opportunities for INSAR? What industries do you see it being most applicable to? That's a good question because, I mean, it's Australia compared to, to much of the world is so geologically stable. So, you know, a lot of the applications for um, INSAR traditionally have been focused on, um, you know, more geologically active parts of the world where you have much more kind of landslides and earthquakes and those sorts of events which are the types of hazards so well suited for INSAR monitoring. But, of course, in Australia we have also a, a massive mining industry and, you know, the use of INSAR for monitoring of tailings dams is I think been pretty well demonstrated as a really effective risk mitigation measure. And, you know, these days with the ability of uh, companies like 3VG to turn around monitoring reports so rapidly after an image capture, you can actually uh, link that monitoring to um, management decisions which potentially allow you to avert a disaster, which is what a tailings dam failure can be, but at the very least to be able to mitigate its impact, particularly to people and the environment. So that I think is an obvious one. 
Possibly less obvious or less well known in the Australian market is the value of INSAR for monitoring um, above tunnelling projects, you know, particularly in urban areas. This has been done, I think, fairly broadly in, in Europe, where tunnelling projects happen on a much larger scale. But I think as you know, a number of infrastructure projects really kick off in Australia, focused on you know, urban tunnelling projects, then there's a, there's a real application there. Another one as well is monitoring of aquifers and aquifer drawdown. So Australia, of course, are quite different to Canada, Poland. Um, we're, we're pretty short on water in general, but we do have significant groundwater resources and the effective management of those um, through time is a you know, critical sustainability issue for us. And I, I think there's some opportunities there with the precedent perhaps being set with monitoring of the, the Central Valley in California, which has seen ground levels subside substantially over the years through the um, you know, really heavy use of aquifers. So uh, they're probably the key ones off the top of mind for me. I think mining is going to be a substantial user and beneficiary of INSA. Yes, Sam, uh, you're bang on with those. Those are pretty key and we're active in all three of those. And, you know, I can maybe add a little bit more context there. With mining, you know, miners are changing the earth so significantly, so quickly that all these assets that they have, whether it's the pit or stockpile or the heat bleach or the TSFs or the access roads that connect to the mine, you know, there's ground hazards developing in all these areas and they're accelerating, they're, they're changing, and they are a big user of these rapid reports, right? Because they need to manage their risks as they're evolving. And we work at a lot of mines around the world and INSAR products are established as best practices in mining now. It's a need to have. Our customers will tell us it's a need to have, not a nice to have. I have been to many, many mines around the world where, you know, I'm there to give some training um, or gather some requirements and feedback. And we get a rapid report from 3VG while I'm at the mine and we get, get in a, you know, in a, in a truck, in a four by four. We drive to the area where new displacement has been indicated and lo and behold, we see cracks on the ground. And, you know, I, I just want to stress that our customers tell us that the majority of displacement, more than 50% of the displacement areas that we point out to them, they are unknown to them, right? right. So INSAR is being used as a first, first response for a lot of the displacement zones. Uh, the other one that you talked about, Sam, you know, the Central Valley in California, we processed all of California two years ago, and we see the subsidence from the aquifer, this huge area, hundreds of kilometers wide, you know, you can see that subsidence. And these types of applications are being enabled by Sentinel, which collects data throughout the world. You also mentioned engineering construction in cities, and that's very true. I think more than 100 cities around the world are being tunneled under. And the displacement that can occur from this tunneling is not local. It can actually, you know, affect people who want to know that they are being affected by this displacement. So INSAR can really be used to, you know, provide that information to people. There's some other applications that come to mind. I mentioned pipe pipelines earlier. So, you know, transmission pipelines that go through remote areas spanning thousands of kilometers, right? I mean, pipelines inherently will absorb some displacement because they're like wires. They, they can bend a little bit, but the pipeline operators are really concerned if you start to get, you know, a stress building up in a certain area of the pipeline because that can rupture the pipeline. In the worst case, it can cause loss of containment 
and be a big environmental disaster. So INSAR products are being used by these operators to give them early warning and actually dig up the pipeline and relieve the stress before it actually actually becomes a problem. There's, uh, you know, some other emerging sectors, for example, water resources, dams and reservoirs. That's an important, you know, that's an important area. Those are still emerging. And then there's, there's of course, the classical, the traditional, uh, the first, I would say the first established application for INSAR was oil and gas fields. You know, that's been established for more than 10 years now. And, you know, they are doing enhanced oil recovery. In many cases, they're not just extracting oil and gas from the ground, but they're injecting CO2 or water to increase the pore pressure so that they can extract more oil. So the subsidence and uplift that results from production and injection can be monitored by INSAR so that they can they can change their injection pressures, the volumes, you know, and they can just manage their production so they don't end up with a blowout in the worst case. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I want to go back to the the point on mining because I was speaking to one of my colleagues just the other day and I had never heard of this before and, and the fact that we're talking about this now, Parwan, when you've been with people that are in charge of a mining site and you're doing those rapid reports and you're going to those places and seeing the cracks in the ground, I'm sure that they're really shocked and amazed and grateful <laughs> that you've taken them there. But even just the other day, I was speaking to my colleague and who was in touch with a mining company and what they were noticing was it was an open cut mine that, you know, those massive trucks that they that they drive around and as they make their way down into the open cut mine, if those trucks are taking the same driving path every single time and the weight of the tyres is pushing the road down into grooves in certain areas, they're finding that they're seeing pieces of the, the road just starting to drop away. So it's even just knowing that, as simple as something as making sure each driver takes a different path around a corner every single time and being able to manage that all from, you know, satellite imagery and and using insar would be so helpful because they've actually just figured that out by just watching the earth slip away beneath them yeah absolutely and that's that's you know part of the big joy of uh, practicing insar is that it opens up this this world these use cases that you could not have foreseen because you know you're working on your computers you're writing some software or making products or doing all these other technical tasks Right. But then you see the data being used in ways that you did not anticipate and you talk to the users and you learn something from them and it feeds back to you. And then you come up with additional ideas and you can actually improve your product, make it more relevant to them. You know, that's, that's part of the joy, just working with the, with the users and, and learning from them. Yeah. I w- I'd love to talk a little bit more about the government compliance side of this, especially with you, Sam, because, and I don't know if this is the case um, where you are, Parwant, um, but definitely here in Australia, we're seeing the government now investing a huge amount of money into infrastructure, roads, projects, tunnels, like you mentioned, Sam, because of COVID-19, because they're trying to establish jobs in the economy. So all of these roads, projects, the tunnels, the bridges, everything's being fast-tracked. I mean, even here in Perth, we're seeing announcements to extend freeways out and, you know, there's all sorts of different projects happening Sam, do you reckon that this is something here in Australia that our government is aware of that they could have in their toolkit? Well, I think in general, but particularly in Australia, yeah, the, the awareness around what INSAR can offer and, and I suppose how practical it is today as a tool, um, that I think is probably the, um, the thing that's not so well known. I mean, INSAR's been around for, for a long time, right? 
but it's it's really only been in the past kind of 10 years um, or even more commonly in the last five years where the availability of data and the ability to quickly process data properly that can result in a rapid turnaround now and I think that's really the key difference it it makes INSAR much more useful than perhaps people that were familiar with it 15, 20 years ago. It's an, um, an accessibility piece. Yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah. It was a relevance issue, really. I mean, like Power mentioned before, it's, it's, it's one thing to spend um, you know, three months working on a couple of images to, to map displacement. It's, it, it's much different to have that information the day after the image was captured because then you can act on it. Yeah, definitely. Pawan, I'd really like to shift the conversation for a sec because I was looking at the 3VG website um, and I could see that you guys have made a few announcements in the last six months about how INSAR can be applied to fight climate change. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So Sarah, I can talk about it a bit broadly and at first and then I can tell you what 3VG is doing specifically. So even before INSAR, if we just look at SAR, you know, the radar images that are collected, they can be quite useful for uh, characterizing climate change. For example, sea ice in, around the polar areas, you know, it plays a big role in, in those e- ecosystems. And I'm not an expert in climate change by any means, but I understand that, you know, the onset of sea ice when it starts forming in the fall, and how quickly it forms to cover the entire uh, you know, Arctic Ocean, for example. And then when it starts thawing and receding in the spring, the timing of that, the extent of that, that's very, very important. And that's been changing very quickly. So you could just use SAR data. This is just without doing NSAR. You can just do change detection by analyzing these SAR archives that go back two, three decades Right. So you can construct, you can see how, how is the CI's evolution changing over time, you know, on a decadal, decadal uh, time scale. You could do something similar with glaciers. You know, if glaciers are receding or whatever their extents are, you can use SAR as well as NSAR to map that over, you know, multiple decades. Now, you know, the other application that we get asked about sometimes is, can INSAR be used to monitor sea level rise? You know, and, and that's not the case. INSAR cannot make measurements over water, so we can't see the sea, sea level rising. But there are coastal areas around the world which are subsiding, like Jakarta, for example, is, is you know, is sinking. And then if due to climate change, the seawater continues to rise, it makes a city like that, especially vulnerable, right? So INSAR can be used to monitor subsidence of these coastal cities, which are very susceptible to sea level rise. I would just add generally, if due to climate change, there are more hazards, more disasters, more, you know, ground displacement issues around the world, you know, SAR and INSAR can be used to monitor that, especially given how much data is being collected now, and it just continues to increase. You know, now coming back to 3VG, one of the applications I, I didn't mention earlier was permafrost. You know, so this is the permanently frozen ground in, in the Canadian Arctic, for example. And there's people living up there. There's lots of communities, little communities, 1,000 people, 2,000 people, you know, who live up there. And permafrost is supposed to be permanently frozen, right? And it has a small active layer on top, which is 
frozen in the winter, then it's thawing in the summer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's, it's supposed to be cyclical displacement that's happening over time because it's freezing, thawing, freezing, thawing. We have developed technology in collaboration, you know, with the, I should say, funded by the Canadian uh, Space Agency going back to 2012, where we developed, you know, development suitability maps for these permafrost communities where, you know, these communities, the structures that they have, their schools, their hospitals, their houses, you know, they're no longer anchored in the permanently frozen ground. The ground is becoming mushy. These structures, they start to tilt. They actually have jacks under the structure so they can level their structures. You know, <laughs> uh, we have colleagues who have visited these permafrost communities and they're especially impacted by, by climate change. So we have specific products and, and maps that help them determine where they should build in the future, which areas are stable, which areas are not stable. You know, they can also, whatever maintenance budgets they have, they can allocate them more efficiently. So these are just some of the ways in which SAR and NSAR can uh, help with climate change. That's really awesome, Parwat, because something that we talk about frequently on the podcast and even as recently as a couple of weeks ago, Sam, with you with the GEO and GEE Impact um, initiative is that we love talking about how we can use science and technology to um, combat climate change issues. And I think this is the first time we've talked about INSAR having like an impact there, which is pretty interesting for us, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So, Parwan, on the 3VG website, it says that the next wave of innovation for Insight involves the implementation of deep learning and AI algorithms. 3VG has teamed up with the Canadian Space Agency and NVIDIA to accelerate adoption of these critical technologies for the benefit of the environment. I'd love to talk to you more about that because on the podcast, as much as we love talking about fighting climate change using science and technology, I have been thrown in the deep end a few times with my friend Sam here. Um, when it comes to talking about deep learning and AI algorithms and applying those to all the amazing technologies that we talk about. So I'd love to hear a bit more about the partnership you have with Canadian Space Agency and NVIDIA, and also how you see the implementation of deep learning and AI algorithms eventually becoming more mainstream in other industries that you service. That's a very interesting topic, and it's all integrated. We have NVIDIA and Canadian Space Agency and climate change and deep learning, a lot of exciting topics. There's a lot to unpack so, in the question. Uh, I apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, let me start with the CSA, the Canadian Space Agency. So we are very fortunate in, in Canada. We have the National Space Agency, which is CSA. I think we are on our eighth project with the Canadian Space Agency. They have given us funding basically since inception to build new research, new technology, and operationalize that technology for real users around the world. And, you know, we've done two permafrost projects with them, two climate change projects with them. We are on the second one right now. The first one was in 2012. Now, the other piece of this, NVIDIA, you know, so NVIDIA is a type of GPU. So that's a graphics processing unit. Basically, the images that you see on your screens right now, they are rendered using these graphics processing units. Each dot that you see on your screen, each little pixel that you see, it's being processed simultaneously. All these millions of pixels are being processed and they're being put in front of your eyes. So about, you know, a decade ago, basically, uh, when the company started, you know, we started looking at 
harvesting these NVIDIA GPUs to accelerate our uh, data processing pipelines. Earlier, I talked about rapid reports and Sam was talking about how rapid turnaround has really revolutionized the applicability of NSAR, right? This is only possible because of GPU technology. You know, we had algorithms back in 2011, 2012, that would take weeks and weeks to compute. Well, that's not a real, real algorithm. You can't produce a real time product for someone using that. So we started using GPUs and we cut down the processing time for the data by 10 times, sometimes even a hundred times, right? And we were working with the Canadian Space Agency on a project uh, when we started using these GPUs. And we were actually working on a climate change project. These development suitability maps that I talked about earlier, these ended up getting rolled out to more than 20 communities in, in the Canadian Arctic. And, you know, it was all enabled by the Canadian Space Agency's funding and this NVIDIA GPU technology, you know, and we've just continued to use GPUs more and more as we've grown. So currently we have, we have data centers that have just fleets of GPUs, these NVIDIA GPUs, and they are enabling all these machine learning and deep learning applications. So we are already starting to see some of the benefits of this in our data processing pipelines because there are some steps in the data processing pipeline that can, in fact, be done much better using machine learning and deep learning. And we can deploy these types of algorithms in our data processing pipeline to get a better product. You know, if I look ahead a little bit, there's, there's a bit of speculation here, but, you know, I think machine learning will occupy a much bigger role in the proliferation of INSAR to the world going forward um, because it inherently enables computers to learn the type of features that humans are experienced at identifying in images, right? So in order to proliferate NSAR throughout the world, we really need to automate it more. Um, you know, I was mentioning earlier the Sentinel satellite, it's just acquiring data like clockwork. It has acquired more than 20 petabytes of data, which is a phenomenal amount of data. It's just, you know, imaging the earth every 12 days for year after year after year. It's a phenomenal amount of data and no human uh, or even groups of humans, you know, can't look at this data. It's just too much data to make sense of. So we use machine learning to train computers to analyze images in the same way that experienced human operators would analyze the data. But because it's a machine doing it, if we can train the machine to do this, it's just highly scalable. You can basically, you know, process the whole planet and keep updating those displacement hazard maps, you know, week after week in an automated way. We're making, you know, we have big hopes for machine learning and we do believe it will uh, occupy a very important role in the emergence of NSAR in the world. This must be music to your ears, Sam Atkinson. Yes, no, I was just um, I was trying to think through the pipeline of work that you do there at 3VG from you know taking the raw images through to through to your outputs. I think which which parts you using machine learning for? Would I would I be right in having a guess that kind of phase unwrapping steps might be one of those that you're looking at in particular? 
That's one of them. I mean, filtering is one where it's quite useful. You know, you can identify all these features and you can do some inference based on those, those features that, that you trained your machine on. And then after the filtering, you know, modeling is also a step which can use machine learning, but modeling does tie into phase unwrapping. So you are, you are right. Off-rapping. You know, <laughs> yes, yes. Because if you can fit models to the data using uh, machine learning, then those models actually get utilized by the phase unwrapper to unravel the data from relative to absolute numerical values. Okay, well, that's all we have time for for today's episode of Location Matters. I'd like to thank again Parwant and Sam for taking part. Just for anyone that might want some resources and tips, Parwant, if they wanted to learn more about 3VG and and what you're doing there, what would you recommend? Yeah, we would recommend uh, looking at our website. Uh, You know, we have published some papers as well that, that, that are out there. We are publishing a chapter in an upcoming book as well. We are quite involved with universities. We offer some courses at universities as well, um, and recordings recordings of those are available. But if you're really keen, please get in touch with us. You know, send us an email at info at 3vgeomatics.com, and we'd be happy to chat with you. I'll include some of the links to the resources that Parwant mentioned in our show notes. Um, so as usual, everyone that's listening, you just do that at the NGIS website, so ngis.com.au. Go to the newsroom drop down, you'll see a podcast where you see the episode published. Um, I will have all of those links for you there. And 3VG and NGIS have been working pretty closely together lately. Um, so if you are in Australia or New Zealand, um, if you're working in the industries that we talked about today, um, my encouragement would be to get in touch with NGIS. So Sam or Nathan, who work very closely with 3VG. So if you have any questions about um, using the technology, I would yeah encourage reaching out. Absolutely. I'll also include a link to the tailing storage facilities article that I mentioned. Um, So if you're just wanting to learn more about that use case, you can check that out too. So thank you everyone for listening. I really hope, Parwant, we can have you back on the podcast again soon. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much, Sarah and Sam. It was wonderful talking to to the two of you and uh, I would welcome the opportunity to come back. Thank you again. Great. And thanks so much again, Sam. Welcome. If you want to hear more Location Matters, you can do that by subscribing to Location Matters on any podcast channel, but we recommend Spotify and Stitcher. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.